Ephesians 4, and we're going to start, we've, we've talked a lot about Ephesians 4 in the past, so we're not going to go over it too much, but we are going to start in verse um, 14. As a result, so as a result of what? Uh, the very fact that he has descended, that he might fill all things, he's ascended also, he's ascended and descended, that he might fill all things, he sent apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, uh, for the building of the body, uh, for the equipping of the body, for the work of service. And so we, are, we know all these things, but it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, so there's, there's a downside, and these are the things we avoid. We avoid being tricked, deceived, and led astray. But instead, what we do is, we speak the truth in love. Oh, that is a delicate thing, isn't it? If you can't say it in love, don't say it at all. That's a good, just good little thing to remember. It's better to keep your mouth shut than say something out of love. Because even truth without love won't have the intended effect. It won't, it won't do what it's supposed to do. Truth is meant to better somebody. Truth is meant to build them up. Truth is meant to correct things. Truth is meant to help them. And it, but if it's, out of, if it's not in love, it won't do what you want it to do. It's very much like, and we've said this before, it's very much like pruning a tree. You prune a tree with the right tools, with care, that tree will be better because it's pruned. If you go at it mad with an axe, just hacking away, you're going to kill something. You're going to damage something. You may have the right intentions, but without love, those words that you meant well are going to do the opposite of what you wanted them to do. You want to build somebody up, but instead you just tore them down. So it says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the body builds itself up. Because it's fit together, because Christ is the head, the body being fitted together and everybody doing the proper role, everybody fitting in the right place when we're fit together, it builds itself up. But now here's what it says in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding from, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way, so you've got no reason to go and do the same things that the Gentiles do. You don't walk like they do because you've got light. They are in darkness. They're in the futility of their mind. You're walking out of the Spirit. So here's what it says. As a result of that, he says in verse 21, If you've indeed heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Now that's an action. We know that the old self was crucified when you were born again, right? And yet he speaks to believers as laying it aside. You can take up the actions of the old self just as easy as you can take up an old habit. 
The old self is dead. The old self is gone. You have no debt to the old self. You are not enslaved to the old self. You're free. But you still have to lay it aside. Because it tries to come back. And it tries to influence you. Well, you just lay aside the old self. But you don't just, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. But thank God you don't just lay something aside. God never tells you just to lay something aside. You always lay something aside for the purpose of picking something else up. You're free from the, the bondage of darkness so that you might become a son and also a servant of Jesus Christ. We know that um, we've been called out of darkness, but we've also been called into light. So, you know, God doesn't ever leave you in limbo. He doesn't leave you in this weird state where you're just not doing bad things, but you're not doing anything positive either. That's never the case for a believer. Thank God you never have to be in neutral. You never have to stand still. Once you're called out of something, be ready because you're going to be called into something. Once he busts something out of your life, plucks up the bad things, destroys the bad things. As he said to Jeremiah, you're going to pluck up, you're going to destroy, and then you're going to build and you're going to plant. So God calls us to pluck up, destroy the things of the flesh, but then build and plant by the spirit. You can't just not walk in the flesh. You have to walk in the spirit. Why? Because flesh is the default setting when you were born. Flesh was what everybody else does. And if you say, I'm just not going to walk in the flesh, but you don't make a choice to walk by the spirit, you will find yourself coasting back into the flesh. Even if you're doing the right things, doing the right things in the flesh is still doing the wrong thing. So what do we do? We walk by the Spirit. We don't walk after the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. We lay aside the old self. But in verse 22, it says, in refer- it says, we lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self. So you lay aside the old self, and now you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's a really cool thing. The new self has been created in the likeness of God. Can you imagine that? What you are putting on is the divine nature. What you are putting on is not simply your best you. What you're putting on is him. Isn't that cool? There's a movie out right now, and I, I wouldn't recommend you go see it, but the, the tagline is, what if you could have the best version of you? The best version of you is not as good as the version of him that you're offered. People say, well, you can be your best you. You know, that's great. That's cool. You can be better than your best you. You pick up your new self, which is not in the likeness of who you'd be if you weren't so messed up. It is in the likeness of God. Wow, the likeness of God. It has been created in righteousness, created in righteousness because your old body, your old flesh was created in a cursed earth. It was it, it, you had a sinful nature, but you don't have that anymore. Your new self has been forged in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So your instincts, when you're walking in the spirit, you have new instincts. When you're in the flesh, your instincts are working against you. 
You're, you're relying on the flesh. Your instincts are, I just want to, I just want to, I want to eat right now. Or I, 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 I want to sleep right now. Or, you know, I, I'd really like to hit that person right now. Those are your instincts. But when you get born again, if you walk by the spirit, your instincts are the things that God would have you do. That's what you, that's your go-to thing. That's really cool. But it takes, while those are spiritual instincts, there is a renewing of the mind that must take place. Why? Because your mind still doesn't think that way. Your mind has been trained to think like the flesh. But as we grow, we renew our mind. We become more like him. Here it says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. So he tells you to lay one thing aside, but he never just finishes with lay it aside. He says, lay this aside. What do you do instead of that? Instead of falsehood, what do you do? You speak the truth. Here's what it says exactly. And I I just skipped back a page, so please forgive me. But it says, laying aside falsehood. I'm going to read it directly from the screen. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. So he doesn't tell you just to stop stealing, does he? Instead of just stopping stealing, what does he tell you to do? Instead of stealing, what, how do you steal? You steal with your hands, right? So instead of using your hands to steal, you must use your hands to work. You must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. You see, God does not just leave you wondering what to do with these things. He tells you. You used to steal with these hands. Now you can work with these hands. Well, what do I work for? He says he labors, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So a thief becomes a giver. Couldn't be more opposite, right? A thief becomes the giver. And it says this, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Instead of that unwholesome word, what are we going to speak? Only such a word as is good for edification. Now, edification, even in English, sounds like what it's supposed to sound like. When you think of an edifice, what is that? We've talked about this before. An edifice is a building, is something that's built. Edification, both in the original Greek and in English, means to build something. So instead of an unwholesome word, which would tear something down or destroy something, you are to speak such a word as is good for building. Building somebody. Now, this is cool because we would originally think that that that's a pastor's job or a preacher's job is to build people up with their words. But he's not talking to ministers right now. He's talking to everybody. Now, you could say, well, of course, we're all ministers. We're all ministers of reconciliation. But he's not talking about just pastors or just evangelists or apostles. He's talking to every single believer has the ability and the and not just the privilege, but also the obligation to build each other up. Now, building each other up, that's a cool thought. We use that a lot, though. Don't we? We use that term a lot. So it's kind of lost its meaning. We say, well, we're just meant to build each other up. And we don't think about what that means. But think about it for a moment. When you get born again, you don't shoot from a shanty to a skyscraper the moment you say amen to whatever prayer you prayed. You you get built. You start 
and you get built and you grow and you grow. There's two, uh, there's two major themes that go through the New Testament when it talks about the life of a believer. And, and one talks about building and the other talks about like a body growing. And so we're, we're all a building together. We're all a body together. But you're also individually in order for the whole building to be built up. The cool thing is, is, is in order for the whole building to get bigger, we don't just add more people. In order for the building to grow, the, the Bible doesn't, the New Testament at least, doesn't really talk about adding more people to make the building grow. It talks about causing each stone to grow, causing each individual member to grow so that the building grows. So here's the thought. We are all called to build somebody up. Because somebody, is everybody that you've ever come in contact with is in a process of getting bigger. At least they should be, right? They're not baby Christians for the rest of their life. They shouldn't be baby Christians for the rest of their life. So your call, your anointing, your purpose, and it may not be your only purpose, but a big purpose that you have is to aid that building in their life. Whatever God is calling them to be, you have a part in getting them one step closer to that. And we got to stop and think about that for a while because every word we say goes one way or the other. It talks about unwholesome words. Now, you really think what an unwholesome word is. It sounds like we just need to stop swearing. But looking at the other side of it where he says there's a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace so that it will give grace to those who hear. So let's contrast that for a moment. That's got to be more than just not swearing, right? That unwholesome word probably isn't just cussing. That unwholesome word probably is a word that does not bring wholeness to them. A word that may destroy wholeness. A word that is instead of a building word. And when we're talking about word, we're not just talking about one word. We're talking about something you say. It could be a paragraph. Could be an essay. Whatever you're saying to that person. Is it causing them to go backwards or forwards? Is it causing them to be torn down or built up? This is edification. And it says that your words that you speak. Have, are actually meant to build according to the need of the moment that you're able to see by the Spirit of God what that person needs right now and build on that so that it might minister what? Grace to the hearer. What is grace? Grace is God's empowerment when we are weak. He is strong. God stepping in, doing what we can't do. Grace means that we are enabling them to see themselves as God sees them instead of how they see themselves. To walk in the spirit instead of according to the flesh. So we're not talking about empty flattery. Because empty flattery focuses on them. If I say a bunch of nice things to Tony and my goal is just to make Tony like me, so I want to say nice things to Tony, I end up flattering him and it focuses all the energy on him instead of on the Lord who called him. And so we didn't build him up. We've just puffed him up. And when you get puffed up, what happens? You pop. 
So what do I want to do for Tony? Instead of just saying, Tony, you're a good-looking guy. Tony, you're so strong. These are just flattering words. They may be true, but they're not building him up. What I want to say to Tony is something that focuses on what God's doing through him, how God sees him, how God's called him. If Tony gets up and preaches, I don't want to talk about how funny he was even though he may have been funny. It may be okay to say that. I'm not saying that's bad to say. You can say, Tony, you were funny. But don't spend all your time talking about how good of a speaker he is. Rather, focus on what the Lord said and did through Tony. And all of a sudden, you're building him up. He's being built up because you're encouraging the things in him that God has put inside of him. You're encouraging the grace that's inside of him. You're ministering grace to him. You're, you're encouraging him that God is working through him. God is continuing to work through him, and that's a valuable thing. So we are called to edify. Now, in this section of Scripture, we see how we use our words to do that. But tonight, we're going to focus on much more than our words. We're going to focus on, on the rest of your life, how that is edifying to others, and how that is, that is not only a good thing, but it is a must for Christians to... to to keep in the front of your mind, is this edifying others? Am I building the body up? Are my actions contributing to the growth of others? This is important because we are using as our example Jesus Christ himself, who, if you look at his life, did not come for himself, did not even come just for God. He came for others. He lived for others. Now, he lived his life to God, right? But what did God want of Jesus? See, because if, if all that God wanted from Jesus is Jesus to spend a lot of alone time with God, he would have kept him up there in heaven. He sent him down to be amongst us, to affect us, to influence us, and in the end, to pay for us and redeem us. So everything Jesus did had a relation to everybody else around him. When he went away to be with God alone, he did that so that he could minister what God wanted him to minister to others. I mean, everything he did was for other people, was for what God wanted to do through him for other people. So his life was not his own. His life was lived to God. And yet, how does God want us to live to him? We see it in, in the life of Jesus. As, as it says in Romans 6, he, he, the this death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So our whole life is lived to God. You could say it this way, that our whole life is a worship song that we sing to the Lord. Everything we do behind closed doors in front of public, everything we do is a worship song that we're singing to the Lord. Our life is lived to him. And yet we can't just spend that life singing our song to him in a closet somewhere. Because if we don't go out, what did God do? God is love. Love cannot be love without other people around you. You can't, be, you can't love without people. Because that's just empty love. So if God is love and he sends you, what, I mean, what do you think God wants from your life? Do you think he wants you to go live in the forest somewhere by yourself and just write songs to him and just, uh, you know, do poetry and just build up yourself? Or do you think he wants you to do what Jesus did and live a life to him for others, serving others, causing others to be better because you were there? 
So our life is a life of edifying. If we're going we're gonna to look in, in the book of Romans... And we're going to look in the verse in chapter 14 and verse 1. We're going to talk a little bit about matters of conscience and how they affect everybody else around you. Conscience in our own English language means basically the same, almost exactly the same thing that it means in the original Greek when it's used in the Bible. Our word conscience comes from the Latin con, meaning with, and you can recognize the word science there, which is how we would say it today, to mean with knowledge. Conscience means with knowledge, that you know what's good, you know what's bad. Uh, In the Greek, it's very much the same. It means with the ability to see. And so we see what's good, we see what's bad, we see what's right, we see what's wrong. God put that inside you. And the Bible says that that conscience that Jesus died and his blood caused us to be able to serve him with a clean conscience. Says that It says, even though you've been given a clean conscience, by directly and willfully disobeying the Lord over and over again, the scripture says your conscience can be seared where you don't feel and you don't, you're not sensitive there anymore. Our conscience is very important. But our conscience is a very individual thing. I mean, we're, our mind is being renewed so our conscience changes. As our mind gets renewed, we find new things that are right and new things that are wrong. Don't you remember the way you thought when you were born again? When you first got born again, maybe some of you grew up in a very nice conservative religious household where you did good things anyways and you got born again and you just learned that your righteousness wasn't enough, that your righteousness didn't cut it, so you received his righteousness and and you still lived a good life, but now you lived it by faith. But many people um, came out of, of a life where they weren't living to God and they weren't living for God. And, you know, when you first got born again, you were just so excited and, and you, were, you were on fire for God. Many people, they get first born again. They're on fire for the Lord. And yet um, they are still learning some things that aren't quite right. I mean, how many times have we had somebody just born again who was just, just talking about how bleeping awesome Jesus is? You know, I mean, it's just... And we trust that the Lord is going to start with something and, and, and renew them and, and sanctify them and, and cause them to grow, right? We know that if God told you when you were born again everything you did wrong all at once, you'd, you'd quit. You'd curl up in a ball in the corner and just say, kill me. Because I can't do this. So God doesn't tell you everything all at once. As you're ready to grow, he prods your heart. He speaks to your spirit. And more and more, you say, I'm laying this down. I'm picking this up. I'm laying this down. I'm picking this up. And you grow. So we have patience with those. And, and so when, I, when I'm looking at people, I'm not looking at anybody individual. Don't say, he's looking at me. We have patience with those who just got born again and have some things that aren't quite right. We've got patience with these people. And uh, we understand that the Lord's working on them. They're growing. So as we move on, uh, unless there's no movement at all, we rejoice. At least they're moving in the right direction. But now, how does that affect? So conscience is is a thing that's constantly changing. And yet your conscience is between you and God, but it often affects a lot of people around you. 
Let's read in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So here's a guy that is weak in faith, and you're not meant to pass judgment on his opinions, even though his opinions are drenched in lack of faith. It says, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, that may sound harsh to some people. People go, wait a second. I'm a vegetarian. You call me weak in the faith? Well, this is, these guys that he's talking about probably aren't vegetarians for the same reason that people might be a vegetarian today. He's talking about people that wouldn't eat meat for moral reasons, whether they be Jews who wouldn't eat pork and shellfish and all of that, or somebody who um, you've got to realize in these pagan societies, um, meat was often offered to idols and sometimes you knew it and sometimes you didn't. Often, if you bought meat in the market, it could have been leftovers from what was offered to the idols, and you didn't know it. And so some people said, I'm just not going to eat meat because I don't know if it's been offered to idols. And, and what the Apostle Paul is saying here is it really doesn't matter. It's meat. It's always going to be meat. And even if it was offered to idols, if you didn't know any better and you just ate it, It's, as he says in another place, all things are sanctified by the word and prayer. And because you're eating it, it's okay. However, there were some that said, I'm just not going to eat it. I'm just going to eat vegetables. And they did it as a matter of conscience. And he says this, though you may say, well, they're weak in the faith because they don't have faith that God can sanctify this meat. Though they don't have faith for that, you are, it says, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So this guy's weak in faith, but you don't regard him with contempt. You don't treat him badly because his faith's not at the same place that yours is. He says, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Now you can see this in our daily life. You say, maybe meat's not the issue today, is it? But there are a lot of gray areas in the Christian church. And these are gray areas that until Jesus comes may never be resolved. And people have certain standards that you think are wacky, and you go, you're just, you are just this close to living on a colony. And then there's, there's other people that you go, your standards are so low, I don't want my kids to be around you. I mean, there are just different levels, right? And so here, we're not talking about somebody that's living like the world. We're talking about people who have different standards based on what they believe God has said to them. I said as a teenager, I made this my rule because I had some friends who had different standards about different things. And some, some of their standards seemed really strict to me. But what they, what they watched, what they listened to, what they read, I mean, they were just really strict standards. But I said to myself, and I made a, I made a promise to the Lord, I said, I will never try to lower someone else's standards because I feel bad about it. You know what I mean? Somebody says, you watch TV? Oh, we don't watch TV in our house. And all of a sudden, you feel bad because maybe you watched a Bonanza. And while it may not have been full with, you know, bad language and pornography, it still was TV, and they don't watch TV. So you're faced with this guilt when they say it, like, am I doing something wrong? And what's the reaction? You don't just walk away. You, wanna, you want to tear them down so that you don't feel bad. 
So you go, that's silly. Your standards are strict. Oh, I, I think if Jesus were here, he'd be watching Bonanza with me. And you want to tear them down. And you know what? You don't need to tear them down. If that's their standard, that's what they're living. That's what God's talked to them about. It is so important that they live by that standard. Because that's where their faith is at. That's what they believe. That's what the Lord has said to them. And even if it was okay to you, for you to watch Bonanza, if the Lord said to them, you don't watch TV at all, and they did it because you talked them into it, you've caused them to sin. What's the sin? Watching TV? No, the sin was disobeying the Lord. So what do we do? We say, people have different standards. I will never, never tell somebody to lower their standard. Because truth of the matter is, in five years, I may have come up to their level. And I would really regret having talked them out of it. But the bigger issue is, I would have caused them to stumble and told them to listen to my voice instead of the voice of the Lord. And I never want to do that. So what does it say in the next verse? It says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. In other words, they're not there to serve you. They serve the Lord. And they will report to him. For the Lord is, uh, sorry, to his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So his decisions, his standards are between him and the Lord. It says one person regards one day above the other. In other words, a Sabbath or even uh, the Lord's day. He says one, one, one person says, this day is holy. I will treat it like this. And it says another regards every day alike. Another person says, well, every day is holy. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Did you hear that? Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, we say that can't possibly be true. How can we be together? How can we eat together? If we're both fully convinced of two opposite things, how can we walk together? Unless two are in agreement, how can they walk together? I must not have fellowship with that man anymore. If that man came by that decision by faith, and you came by your decision by faith, you can walk together. But you must be fully convinced in your own mind, which means you must pray about it. And you must have a reason for believing what you believe instead of just saying, well, this will have always done. That's not good enough. Seek the Lord. And whatever he tells you, that's all you've got to do. And you can be okay knowing that the Lord may have told them something different. <gasps> we know God's not schizophrenic, but maybe he said something different to them. So each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God and he who eats not. So the guy who's eating meat, if he does it for the Lord and he gives thanks, praise the Lord. And the one who does not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Praise the Lord. You know, they both could be right. Because they're both doing it for the Lord. The question is, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because it's easier? That's not the right answer. Are you doing it because you've always done it? That's not the right answer. Are you doing it because everyone else is doing it? That's not the right answer. In both of these cases, it is to the Lord. So if you're doing it because you're fully convinced that this is the Lord's will for your life, that's all I ask of you. There are black and white issues in the word of God that we're not going to compromise on. But there are a ton of gray issues in our culture that we need to be led by the Spirit. 
Because the, the letter does not tell you specifically. And God wants us this way, that we would walk by his spirit because search, circumstances change, cultures change, times change. And there are timeless truths in the Bible that will never change. I will never seek to change the word of God, regardless of the culture. But there are other things that the word of God is silent on or at the best ambiguous. Well, these things we say, I'm going to be led by the spirit. You're going to be led by the Spirit. And if we come by different answers, we're both doing it to the Lord, for the Lord. All right, we're okay. Here's what it says in verse 8. For if we live, or sorry, verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Isn't that cool? If we live, we live for the Lord. There's no other option. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I didn't give myself any more options than that. Live is Christ, die is gain. I'm not going to live and not be living to Christ. Here he says, if we live, we live for God. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brothers? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And you know there are different, different judgments. Sinners will be judged a certain way. The Gentile nations will be judged. And believers will be judged. Believers are not judged for their sin, for Jesus has already been judged for your sin. Believers are bo- judged for the work they do. This is what the Bible says. It says either your work stands the testifier or it burns up. You yourself will be saved, but your work could be burned up and you stand there with nothing. So we're not judged for sin. That's, that's already been done. But when we stand for the judgment day, we give an account for what we did. The positive things. Do you have any work that remains? Do you have any reward coming your way? And each one must look to say, I'm going to stand before the Lord myself. I don't, Josh isn't going to stand there for me. My sister's not going to be able to give a character witness. I'm going to stand before the Lord. So I've got to do what I believe the Lord wants me to do. And I can't answer to you on judgment day. I got to answer to him. So he says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. In other words, he's saying, you're not the one who gets to do the judging. God will judge all things. Leave that to him. Way better if you leave that to him. It says we're not to judge each other anymore, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. See, before this, you might have thought that we were just a big hippie family that we're saying, I'm okay, you're okay, whatever goes, doesn't matter, man. But then all all of a sudden he says, but we're not going to put an obstacle in each other's way. Just got complicated, Echo. All of a sudden, it's not just about me. It's about my brother again. And here's what it says. I know and am convinced in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. In other words, that meat cannot possibly be unclean in itself. It's just meat. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Why? Because he thinks it's unclean. So if he eats what he thinks is unclean, he's just gone against his own spirit. He's just in his mind disobeyed the Lord. Doesn't matter whether it is or isn't. He did it thinking it was unclean. And that's the unclean thing in itself. For if because of food your brother is hurt, 
You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. That's a huge statement. He says, don't destroy for your precious little food him who Christ died for. This could be applied to a lot of things, guys. Your trivial issues that you think are important, don't destroy for the sake of your trivial issue or the things you really want to enjoy. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ has died. You may be right, but is it worth destroying that one? It's not. So even if it's okay to eat all that stuff, but if you're causing your brother to be hurt because of it, no amount of food is worth that. Nothing I eat, drink, or wear is worth that. What do I do? I live to God, but I live for the edification of others. Here's what it says. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about what you're eating and drinking. It's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ, listen to that, what you do with your body, what you do with your time, what you do in your spare time, what you do is serving Christ. So he who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue. That means we chase. We go after the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That is a huge verse for tonight. We pursue. We chase. We run after the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I want you to think about that. I want this verse to marinate in your heart for a while that I am going to pursue the things which make for peace. I'm not just going to do that. I am going to pursue the things which build up each of my, uh, my fellow brother and sister. I'm going to pursue the things that will build others up. I'm going to chase those things. I'm going to live my life finding those things that are going to build others up in their walk that are going to cause them to get one step closer to what God's called them to be. That's, that's my goal. We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. And you can substitute a whole bunch of other issues here. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of your own personal desire, for the sake of your own personal belief, for the sake of your own personal opinion or theory, it's not worth tearing down the work of God. There are a lot of things we can disagree about, guys. And maybe you were on YouTube watching video after video after video about this new theory that's come out and that, that has changed the way you think, but it is not. I don't care how good or bad it is. It's not worth tearing down the work of God. What do we stand for? The things that the Scripture is clear on, we are clear on. The things that the Scripture leaves room for, we say, okay, I'm going to live to God. I'm going to live by the Spirit, and I'm going to do my best to hear the voice of God in this matter. But it is not worth the tearing down of the work of Christ for me to go out and find my own little issues about everything and make them just on the same level as, as Holy Scripture. Which is why... When I preach, as a pastor, I, I, there's a lot of things I believe that I don't mention in a sermon. There's a lot of opinions I have, and I don't share them because they're not Scripture. 
I believe they're based on Scripture. I can believe they're right. I can believe they're godly. But if they're not in this word, they're not on the same level. And I risk causing division for something that's not worth causing division for. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. That television show may be clean, but it's evil for the one who does it against his own conscience. That thing you're wearing, that thing you're eating, that thing you're drinking, whatever. If it's causing a brother to stumble, it's not worth it. Here's what it says. The faith which you have has your have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. What does this mean? I think Paul ate. He ate all the meat he wanted to when he was on his own and when he was friends that believed the same way. But he said in another place, when I'm with those who don't eat meat, I don't eat meat. When I'm with those who don't believe like this, I, I do the same thing as them so that I don't cause them to stumble. So that in all things I may minister the gospel to them. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. Have you ever thought that your eating should be out of faith? Everything you do in faith? What does that mean? You believe that God is at work in what you're doing. And when I eat, I believe that it is sanctified, that it is made holy, made clean by the word and prayer. I believe that when I walk, I walk after the spirit. And what I'm doing, I'm doing to the Lord, I'm doing for the Lord. And I know that it's in faith. But if what I'm doing is not in faith, if I'm going against what the Lord has spoken, it's not faith, it's sin. So what do I have to do? I have to eat in faith. I have to walk in faith. I have to talk in faith. I have to even enjoy things in faith. Knowing that they're clean because God said they're clean. And not just doing them because everyone else does it. I want you to turn to the book um, of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to, for the sake of time, try not to labor too long. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we uh, were once again talking about meat, sacrifice to idols. This is interesting because on Sunday we talked about Daniel who would not defile himself. Uh, As a New Testament believer, they're faced with a couple different things. There's meat that's been offered to idols that you could buy in the market. There's meat that might have been offered to idols that you, you might be over at somebody's house and they serve it to you. But there were also feasts for idols. Do you see the difference? When I go to the feast for an idol, that's not a good thing. (laughs) But when I go to the market and this food, this meat might be left over from meat that was offered to idols, is that meat idolatrous? He says, no. God God will clean it. It says it's just meat. But if I go to an idol feast and I eat a feast of the idol, everybody's watching me. I'm partaking in that. Uh Uh-oh. So let's read what he says. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. I've said it this way before. Another translation says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Big difference, huh? Knowledge puffs you up, love builds you up. So everything we do, we don't do anything out of knowledge. We do everything out of love. Now, love with knowledge is a good thing. But knowledge alone won't do you any good. So it says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, 
he is yet not yet known as he ought to know. <laughs> what, a, what a humbling statement. If you think you know anything, you don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know it. If you know, if you think you know anything, you don't know enough is basically what he's saying. All right, great. That, that knocked me down a peg. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. So the, the important thing is not what you know. It's about whether you love the Lord. And it says, therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. So he's saying, really, those idols have no power. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So isn't that awesome? We exist, it says, there's God the Father, and all things are from him, and we exist for him. And then it says there's one Lord Jesus and all things are by him, and we exist through him. That is beautiful and poetic in itself. I wish I had all night just to talk about that. That the Father, all things are from him, and we live for him. And Jesus, all things are by him, and we live through him. Oh, what a beautiful thought. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now. In other words, people that just got saved out of a pagan lifestyle they eat food as if it were a sacrifice to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled because they honestly think when they ate meat back when they were a pagan, they were doing it thinking I'm partaking in this idol. I'm getting strength from this God. I'm honoring this God by eating this meat. So even when they got born again, they still think of it that way and their conscience is weak. It's being defiled, even though it's not true. The very fact that they think it's true is causing them harm. And it says, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat or the better if we do eat. <laughs> Doesn't make a difference. Do you ever, do you ever think that, do you ever, do you ever have that one big issue in your mind that you think is the biggest issue in the world and you come and you bring it to somebody that you think knows a lot more than you in the faith and you go, what do you think about this? And everybody's talking about it and you come to them and you go, what do you think about this? And they go to you, it doesn't matter. And just stand there and stare at him for a minute. It what? Doesn't matter. And there's that, just that sense of deflation like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's the biggest issue in the world. It doesn't matter. Did the Lord tell you to do it? Well, no. Then don't do it. <laughs> but you don't understand. This is huge. All right, fine. If it's huge to you, fine. But it doesn't really matter. This is what he's saying. He's saying you think it's a big issue, but it, 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 you're not better or worse by what you eat. Jesus said the same thing. It's not what goes in a mouth, man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of it. So he says, but take care. Listen to that. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You know that it doesn't matter whether you eat it or not, but take care that you're not causing that weak person to stumble. By your freedom, by your liberty. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So that man, you've just caused him to sin because he saw you. I know this well because I'm a pastor's son. 
And anything we did, Liberty can attest to this, anything we did, we knew could be used by other kids in the church saying, but Jonathan and Liberty did it. Didn't matter whether we did it in the right attitude or not. They just used it to disobey their parents. And all of a sudden, we've, we've caused them to sin. Or they've caused themselves to sin, but they used us to do it. Tia and I ran into a situation recently where there was the same sort of thing. Somebody used us to say, but Jonathan and Tia, they were wrong. But they used us as an example. And, and they had the facts wrong, but unfortunately, they used us as their levering point against their own parents. And we get dragged into the issue. Well, this is not something we want to happen. So we're very careful. If I see a movie, I'm probably not going to tell you about it. There's not a lot of movies which I'd want to tell any, or that I, I want to watch anyways. <laughs> movies nowadays are very hard to find. But even if I did see one on an airplane that's edited, I'm not going to tell you about it because I don't know what you're going to see. And I don't want you to go to the video store saying, Jonathan saw it, it must be okay. And you see the unedited version and all of a sudden I've caused you to stumble. So here's what it says. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Do you see that come up again? That was in Romans 2. Christ died for this man. He, he died for that brother. So it's so important that we're building that brother up and not tearing him down. That we're helping him in his walk, not causing him to stumble in his walk. Because Christ died for him. Christ saw value in him, so you value that man by what you do and what you say. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Uh-oh. Even in the thing which you were right to do in the first place, if you caused another brother to sin, willingly, knowingly, you yourself have sinned because you've dishonored the man for whom Christ died. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Is that love? Paul loved meat, I'm sure, just like most of us. But he says, if it's causing somebody to stumble, I'll never eat it again. You, you may think the answer is to find that brother and sit down with them and talk sense into them until they agree with you. But Paul's saying, that's not the issue. The issue is where their conscience is at right now. And the issue is they've got to live to God by their conscience and do what they believe is right. And if you cause them to stop doing that, it's going to start with that and it's going to trickle down to all those other areas of life. I hate to say it, but if that man who thinks eating meat is a sin and you rightfully convince him to eat meat with you, but when he ate meat, he still thought he was sinning. Unfortunately, come things that are actually our sin, he's, his conscience is already going to be weakened, and he's going to do things that he shouldn't do in the first place because he's already been weakened by that sin. Because in his own heart, he disobeyed God, so disobeying God the next time is not going to be as hard. So important that we encourage each other in the grace of God, build each other up, we are not to be legalistic, folks. That first bit we read said, if somebody else has a different standard, praise the Lord. This, that, that doesn't sound legalistic at all, does it? We have different standards, praise the Lord. This isn't about legalism. This is about love. This is about love. This is not about, and this is the point. Legalism has set rules about everything. This is saying there are some rules that shift. It is about whether that man is living according to his spirit or according to his flesh. Your job is to help them live by the spirit. And as God gives them understanding in things, as their standards go up, you help them reach that standard. 
Even if yours is lower, you say that's your standard. Praise the Lord. We're going up there. Because that is what we're called to the building up of the body. We're going to close with this next chapter. First Corinthians chapter 10. Just go a couple chapters later. Once again, he's talking about these idol feasts and then meat that you might buy in the market or go to somebody else's house that may have been offered to idols. So there's a difference. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Don't even walk close to it. Flee from it. Now, this is an issue we have a lot in our culture. You may not know it, but, um, I mean, especially in Loon Lake, these feasts, idol feasts, is, is a, there's direct parallels to that in the, in the culture that surrounds us. In the native culture, um, there, are, there are feasts that are for the dead, and, and we have believers that are trying to say, well, they're, they're, they're trying to find out from the Lord, do I, do I participate in that? If, if not that, what about a powwow? What about a sundance? All of these things. And we have to teach people to be led by the Spirit and to flee from idolatry. Because if you're worshiping anything other than God, it's idolatry, right? So this is all uh, very relevant to our time. But, but don't just relegate it to other cultures. It's in our culture as well. It's just more subtle. So here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, for we are many who are of one body, for we all are partake of one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not all those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? So he's talking about these feasts where you go and you honor the idols by eating this food. And he goes, when we have communion, aren't we partaking of Jesus through the bread and the wine? Well, yes, we are. He says, okay, what about the Israelites? When they ate those sacrifices, weren't they partaking in the sacrifices? Well, yes, they are. So he's tying it to this feast for idols. And he goes, when you're eating that food, what does he say? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? He goes, no. I'm not saying that meat sacrifices to idols changes from meat to some sort of demon flesh. But I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So if you were to go to that feast and eat with them, you become a sharer in demons. What does that mean? When we worship other spirits other than the great Holy Spirit, God, we're worshiping demons. So when we have a feast for other spirits, we're having a feast for demons. And you join in that feast, you're partaking with demons. It's not that the meat has changed, but it's the spirit of the matter. Here's what it says. And we're coming to a close. Don't get tired. (laughs) He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. There's the thought. There's what we've been getting at. Everything might be okay. All things might be okay and lawful and you can do it, but not everything is profitable. And we're not just living our life to not go against the law. We're now living our life unto God. 
We're not living by the law. We're living by the spirit, by the grace of God. And I'm not just trying not to be disqualified from the race. I'm trying to win. So I don't say, is this lawful? I say, is it profitable? That should always be your question. Not, is this sin or isn't it sin? You go, is it profitable? There are things that aren't sin that aren't profitable. I'd rather do the things that are profitable to God. Here's what he says. In verse, um, well, let's read 23 again since we didn't finish it. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. There's the point. Do we do the things that build up? We're called to build up. And are we doing that? Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. You don't ask, is this offered to idol? Is this, all, is this idol free meat? There's the idol free section in superstore. Is this the idol free section? There's the organic and then there's organic idol free. Did I get from the organic idol free section? And he says, don't ask. He says, don't ask, don't tell policy with meat. Don't ask if it's, if it's been offered to idols. He said, don't ask a question for conscience sake. I mean your own, co- or sorry, I skipped ahead. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. Because if that guy goes, oh, by the way, this is meat sacrificed to idols, all of a sudden, it's not about, you, you know, I can take this home and pray for it, and thank God it becomes holy. But this man's watching you. What are you going to do? And you're affecting him by your actions. You say, oh, it doesn't affect me. It's not about you. It's about that guy. He says, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks for the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. There's the goal. There's the point. In the next chapter, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And here's the point. There are a lot of gray issues, folks. And I could name them right now, but I would destroy the very purpose which I'm talking about. There are things that you all know. There are certain issues right now in which churches have been split over, which people have had great arguments about. And are we willing to tear down the work of Christ for sake of these things? You may love that movie, but if it's causing someone else to sin, it's not worth it. You may love whatever you're putting on your body or decorating yourself with, but if it's causing someone else to stumble, it's not worth it. We're living for the edification of the body. And ultimately, I want to do everything and say everything that's going to cause my brother and sister to go further with the Lord. And I don't want to cause them to start to stumble in their own walk. So for these issues, guys, we first of all, you seek the Lord for your own conscience sake. And when you're with your family, you do what the Lord told you to do. But when you're with other people, you're with other people that agree with you and believe the same thing as you. Praise the Lord. But if you're with somebody that has a different standard than you, 
You do everything you can not to cause that one to stumble because their walk with Christ is so valuable that I care about their conscience and not just my own. My conscience gets stronger every time I obey the voice of the Lord. What happens when I disobey? I go through to that process of slowly searing my own conscience. So that friend of mine, even if their conscience is off, if I cause them to go against it, I'm telling them, disobey the Lord because I'm telling you to. And that's a bad thing to start. So friends, you're meant to be edifying. Can you imagine if you make that your goal? I'm going to build people up. And that doesn't just mean say nice things to them. That means, yes, I'm going to, to speak things that they need to hear at that moment. I'm going to minister grace to them. But also, I'm going to live a life that's going to spur them on. I'm going to stimulate them, as Hebrew says, to love and good deeds. I am going to help them go further with the Lord. That is a divine calling, duty, obligation, privilege, honor, whatever you want to call it. That's part of my life is to help you go further. It's to help you grow stronger. It's to help you be built up. And I wouldn't sacrifice that for any movie. I wouldn't sacrifice that for any meat or drink. I wouldn't sacrifice that for any bit of clothing. I wouldn't sacrifice that for anything that's trivial because it's not worth tearing the work of Christ down. I want to build you up. I want you to grow. And if you want that for each other, you're going to think about what you do. Here he says, take care. You're going to take care that you don't cause them to go further back, but you cause them to go further forward. And that means not putting yourself in your own beliefs first, but you put the things of the Lord first place and you put those other people before yourselves. And I guarantee that love is a good thing. It's not legalism, guys. I don't ever want you to be legalistic. This, this script, these scriptures we read went against legalism. They went against setting hard and fast rules about everything. This is about love. Loving the Lord and loving each other. And if you love each other, you're going to help them grow further and stronger in the things of God. Would you stand up? Thank God. I realize that uh, this message tonight has meant something different to everyone. I do believe that the Holy Spirit was able to speak to you through that. And I hope that each one of you heard it in a different way. I know that sounds weird, but I hope you did hear it in a different way because I believe that each one of us needs to hear it as the Lord would say it. And there are things in our life and and things that we could do, and maybe this is going to help you in a certain matter to walk the walk of love and not the selfish walk that says, well, this is what I believe, and that's all that matters. What you believe is all that matters between you and God, but you're also thinking about that other person. It's also about love. And I encourage you to to consider love. Speak the truth in love. Walk in love. Build each other up in love. Take your time this week to just pray for those people that God puts on your heart. And then ask, how do I build them up? How am I going to build that person up? Not puff them up. Build them up. How am I going to cause them to go one step closer to what God's called them to be? Pray about it. Because you'll be surprised what the Lord says. Father, we thank you for your word. It is holy. It is true. It is encouraging. It is profitable. It is life 
transforming. So I pray, Lord, that your word would affect us in the way it's meant to affect us. We'd hear what you want us to hear. And God, and give us the grace to carry it out, to carry out whatever you've spoken to our spirit tonight. If you've spoken to us about something, may we walk it out. And you're just going to be the strength behind whatever we do. We know we're relying on your strength and not our own. It is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So work in us, work through us. As it says that, that God, we, we live for you and Jesus, we live through you. So may you be glorified in everything we do and in the edification and loving of others, be glorified, Jesus. Be glorified in our relationships. Be glorified in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.